you for joining us for this next year turnaround restructuring and insolvency podcast series. We'll be exploring global issues that affect the world economy. I'm your host, Rebecca Harding, and I'll be joined by a selection of experts from around the world in firms that are all part of the Nexia International Network, and all of whom are leaders in turnaround, restructuring and insolvency. Nexia International is a leading global network of independent accounting and consulting firms. All of the experts appearing on this show can be contacted via the Nexia International website. Thank you. I was delighted to meet with Yunut Zesh, who is senior partner at Nexia CRG in Romania and based in Bucharest. Prior to joining Nexia CRG, he went to McCallum Graduate School of Business in the US before working for EY and Myris Advisory Services. He spoke to me about the newcomer to the financial scene in Central and Eastern Europe, the family office. It presents both challenges and exciting opportunities, but differs greatly in nature from similar offices in the West. Hello, how are you doing? You're in the airport, aren't you? Hello, Becca. Yes, yes, I am. Uh, I apologize. I, I have this beautiful wall behind me. That's not <laughs> the best landscape, but um, thank you for having me. Yes, I, I'm actually in transit, um, but I was very much looking forward to our discussion today. Well, you've just come, you're at a conference, aren't you? The um, CE Wealth Conference. So, Great timing. It's actually a conference. It's a CEE Wealth Conference and Family Office. It's a big part of the uh, of the topic of this conference. And so there is new ideas that just came in. Uh, it's great. It's brilliant timing to have you on this podcast then. So tell me, what was the trigger that led to the creation of the Central and European Family Offices? What What was it that sort of made them spring up? There are two reasons. The first one, obviously, was the accumulation of wealth above a certain extent or thresholds. That threshold, even across CE, varies from country to country. I believe in Romania that threshold had been in the region of 30 to 40 million euros. So accumulation of wealth, certain families having exits in their entrepreneurial businesses above that threshold was a first trigger. And the second trigger was really succession. The fact that those families were trying to keep control over the assets, try to uh, basically have the family together and assure succession. So I guess the succession and the extent of the wealth made by entrepreneurs, self-made and first generation in CE countries were the two key reasons for the creation of family offices. I know there are sort of single family offices and multi-family offices. Could you explain the difference so that I can understand? Sure. Uh, Single family office is basically a structure set up uh, for one principle, and that is one family. uh, Multi-family offices is whenever single family offices get together mainly for co-investing purposes. In in Western Europe, I believe when there is more than a single family office, there is a wealth management uh, concept and it it gets formalized to a more complex structure. In CEE, the vast majority of of the family offices are single family offices. I don't think there is any multi-family office in Romania, or at least I know there is one or two in Czech Republic and in Poland. So it's 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 the exception rather than the rule, uh, the multi-family office. But it's it's the point where 
several single family office get together in order to co-invest for a certain opportunity. It's, it's an important distinction. They operate in different ways. They have different endowments. And so we very much look forward to the second generation in CE, where I am quite sure we'll see more and more multifamily offices and wealth management firms. For now, looking at around about 30 years post-revolution in most CE countries, <clears throat> went through that process, it's either self-made or first-generation entrepreneurs. And in that particular case, the vast majority would be single-family offices. So is that the only difference from a Central and Eastern European perspective, or are there other differences? No, there are multiple differences between the uh, CE family offices and those in more mature markets, such as US, uh, Asia, Latin American. I, I think the, the difference really is, uh, there are a couple of differences. First of all, the difference is in the wealth that is being managed. Typically in CEE, we've seen family offices putting up the structure in place for wealth that varies in between 20 million and I would say 400, 500 million euros. Whereas in the US or even in East Asia or Asia, uh, I would think that there is a consensus of family offices threshold would be in excess of 100 million euros. So that, that, is, that is a big difference. Um, the other difference is in the way it's being managed. Uh, in, in CEE, there is a heavy reliance upon the founders. Still, they are keep um, having an influence on the board of directors or the investment committee, uh, whether it's split on private equity or VCs. Whereas in more mature markets, you would expect that the founders or the heirs would be completely disconnected from the operational management of the family offices. And that would be a second important difference. And the third one that comes to my mind, really, it's in terms of the type of investments. In, in CEE, you would see a trend that the family offices would invest less in, I would say, tech which represents 50% or 60% in what all the other family offices invest and more into the business of the founder. Uh, we would see this quite a lot. So if, for example, the founder was uh, making his wealth in manufacturing, you would expect to see that most of the investments would still be in that particular industry, uh, which is not common in family office, for example, in North America or in Asia, where the investment committee would typically look at tech, climate change, renewables, and I would say the typical investments. And so that's yet another difference. And the last one that's quite striking for someone who has exposure to both types of family offices is the fact that in CEE, family offices are not necessarily reluctant in being the lead investor. In, in Western Europe, in the US, you would expect them to co-invest alongside the VCs or private equity, and it will be very rare when a family office would be the lead investor. And in CEE, that does not happen. You would 
probably see more than 60 to 70 percent of the investments they do acting as 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 lead investor i think those should be the main differences between ce family offices and the rest yeah there's quite a lot of differences it's quite it's interesting so as far as the actual family office itself is concerned how does that work how do you who manages it and how are they organized the typical structure of a family office is that they have a operational management and they have uh, an investment committee and depending on the size and depending on the involvement of the founder you would probably expect to have people being responsible for vc investments or for p investments you would expect people from or staffing of a family office to be anywhere from three five people to even more than 10 or 15. Now, going back to your first question, one of the reasons why family offices actually came to life in CE is because high net worth individuals were realizing that it is significantly less expensive to invest if you have your own structure than if you go to a typical investment fund. And uh, back to the question of how do they operate, the way they operate is as a typical investment fund. There are many, many similarities there. The only uh, major difference is that the objectives of a family office is very, very linked with the interests uh, of the principal founder. Basically, family offices do not get pool of funds. They only service and invest the funds of the founder. Um, And so everything they do is in very strict connection with uh, the founder's intentions, objectives, and so on. And personal interests, I guess, as well, and what they're they're particularly focused on. Yeah. So I suppose that also affects their typical investment approach, because if someone feels very strongly about green issues, that might be an area where they they look at investing in those sorts of things. So is that the kind of approach that's taken with investment? Yes, in 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 fact, that that's exactly right. It's it, it's it's what the founders decide. It's as simple as that. Uh, put in in blunt terms, that they do have a certain strategy, and in most cases, as I've said, there is a continuation of the interest and the business of the founder. Um, but in many areas, we've seen investment in, as I've said, also in climate change, quite a lot in renewables. The investment profile is basically threefolded. Number one, it's obviously preservation of wealth. That they look at safe investments, not incredibly high margins, but safe, uh, safe investments. Second, what we've seen, and it's quite interesting, is family offices like to experience certain industries. So if the founder is, say, interested in renewables, even though his wealth had been made in distribution, um, then a significant part of his wealth is going towards that direction is because he wants to experience that industry we've seen this quite a lot for certain parts of of the of the endowment then the other interesting part is they also invest or co-invest in order to give their successors a heads up and and a, a platform based on which to grow in many instances the founder 
uh, family and as the, 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 the child or the kids um, have a specific interest, which becomes an objective, of course, in that particular sense. So there is a very variety of, of investment profiles, that, but all of them are, are in very strict connection with the founder's objective. It's interesting you've mentioned the children there and their interests coming into it as well, because obviously with um with the family office, the sort of family's security going into the future is a big issue. So therefore the whole succession is a big issue and, and needs to be built into the model so that you're continuing to help the next generations. Um how does how does that work? And I mean it's clearly crucial, but how do you build that in? Uh, in, in, in several ways. I, I think the succession is certainly one of the key driving factors in, in everything that deals with the family office. In, in many instances, we see the first generation or the, even the second generation in, in very few cases stepping in uh, operationally or in investment positions, becoming the face of the family office. So the founders are really trying very hard to make their children involved operationally in the business. And, uh, and, and, uh, in Romania, uh, if you look at the, I would say top five high net, ultra high net network individuals in four cases, the management of those family offices are being done by their children. Right. In, in my opinion, it's a great success. Um, second, you would uh, see a lot of, I would say, adjustment of the investment profile so that the position of the family office is not too aggressive. And this is where it deviates from an investment fund. They will always be looking for wealth preservation. They will not be looking at high returns. They will not be looking at investment that would be too risky. And so you would see that in everything that they do, preservation of wealth is the critical concept. Uh, also, you'll, you'll have a, a corporate governance that is based on a fiduciary approach and the succession planning that comes into play every step of the way. So yes, succession is certainly the most important part of, of a family office management. So what you've been talking about there is um, a really interesting structure. So do you feel there is a model that would, you would say sets the standard for everyone else? In Romania, uh, there is. And the model is one where um, there is this single family office with a structure that has two layers. Um, and, and we've seen this successfully in one particular case, in one particular family. And then all the rest that came through over the last three to five years seem to follow that model. And it's 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 a family uh, office in, in retail. And, uh, and and that model is it's very simple and it deals with a two layers management. You have the children doing the operational side and you have a investment committee doing the, the investment side of it. I, I think that the feature that we've seen and we might consider as setting the standard in Romania is one where the investments are basically not leading they are co-investing and uh the the children of the uh, of the family are are um involved operationally those two points seem to be uh the standard in other ce countries we've seen very similar models so this is why i think it might be a standard right and that's really interesting and i suppose the other thing that i'm i'm curious about is 
in structuring these, often people have a business, don't you? That's why they've become wealthy. So there must be opportunities to bring consultancy in here where you've got that blurry boundary between the entrepreneur's business and the investment opportunities. And there, there must be quite a lot of overlap there. And also in terms of restructuring opportunities with the businesses to make them the most efficient they can be to, for the wealth preservation of the family. So do you think those two points, the sort of consultancy aspect and the restructuring aspects are, are important? Oh, yes. We are a full service advisory firm based in Bucharest, Romania. And one quite interesting aspect, which to be honest was surprising, was that uh, for us, the family offices became um, second most important client in, in terms of types of clients. It, it went higher than, for example, multinational clients or private equities. And so, uh, yeah, yes, there is. And I think there is a trend in family offices to outsource as, as much as possible. Right. Um, typical work that a uh, consultants do for family office is anything from corporate M&A, tax structuring, rework, turnaround on their investments, um, but also some quite interesting services such as bespoke concierge or uh, art valuation or things that may not be intuitive when you get to work for uh, for such a cloud. Yes, no, I can see that. Uh, and, and with all these challenges, I think if we all look three years back, uh, and we uh, we see what happened within those three years where we have challenge after challenge from, you know, energy crisis to war, to inflation, to pandemic. To, you know, there is such a long list of challenges and all those challenges, one after the other, what they've done to the family offices, they, they've put them under a even stricter education with respect to the importance of consultants and we we see they increasingly call upon consultants for things that three four years ago may have not been the case that's very interesting i mean it really has been a very difficult period hasn't it i think we're all a little bit worn out with it all but so um, i mean it's interesting that you're saying how much they've grown because the, this is sort of developing as you go isn't it so how many family offices do you think there are in the central and eastern european area I, I think it's um, that there are various statistics, and um, they they don't seem to agree um, necessarily. <laughs> Is that the nature of statistics? Yeah, <laughs> as, as as typically happens. Um, the one that I believe is accurate uh, or relatively accurate is is one done by UBS, which basically says that in CEE at the end of twenty twenty one there were in excess of 2,000 family offices. I, I think yes. that would be about right. Maybe not all of them um, are formalized as such. Maybe some of them are really small, managing, say, below 10 million or 5 million. But I, I think that's an accurate number of companies acting as a family office. That's interesting. So earlier on in when we were talking, you said about um, the, one of the differences between other parts of the world and where you are is the development of regulation and the structures that have to be done legally. 
in order to manage that kind of wealth. Do you feel that the Central and Eastern European regulations and law are in the right place at the moment and, and are developed enough to actually encourage further growth of those family offices and ensure their security and, and that they are used properly and done well? No, it's not. We are we are well behind, uh, even if we look at Western Europe. Uh, and there, there is a significant gap uh, we, we have to address in, in certain Eastern Europe. It start with basic concepts that are fundamental to the business, such as trust or fiduciary, to specific provisions in the corporate law that would act that that would permit a uh, a company to act as a family office. Um, we've done progress uh, across CEE, I believe, with respect to regulating the holding companies. And especially on the tech side, there were some significant progress, but um, there is there is still a lot to go. No, we are not yet there. And the law uh, and the legislative framework uh, and the regulations are certainly not coping with the pace at which family offices are growing in the CE, but I would also do not see it as a deterrent because the, the, the logic of the structure would greatly exceed the inconvenience of having to live with a legal framework that's not suited. That makes sense. So what do you think, having been to this conference that you've been at this week, um, what do you think the next big things are going to be in this area? There will be a couple of things. There was a huge interest. For example, last year there were around about 80 people, a, a zero, and now it's more than 300. So you would see an increased interest towards uh, family offices. I think there will be three things that will shape the short-term future uh, of family offices. The, the first one is the extent of wealth. I think we would be having, if not already there in certain instances, the first family offices with assets under management in excess to 1 billion. I, I think we will be getting there uh, or 500 million. Uh, but that that particular threshold would increase. I mean, we, we had six or seven transactions in the country last year in that region. And so I would expect that this threshold will increase. And as the wealth becomes uh, more significant, so it would uh, be the, uh, the the challenges and the opportunities those family offices will have. Uh, the second one is technology, which I, I, I expect would uh, change quite a few things. The, the most important one is, I believe, the, the family office in, in CEE as the self-made founders or the first generation would step back and the second generation would come were would be ready to come i think we would expect an alignment with the uh with the family offices in more mature markets such as us or or asia and so the investment in technology would be a significant part of it uh and, and also the way to operate the uh the structure the the, the third one is probably going to be in terms of regulations. I, I think CE countries would understand that this is a significant taxpayer. Uh, a family office could be, and in many instances it is, 
uh, a very significant taxpayer. And so they will regulate it uh, in, in, in many instances. And also there are a couple of things. Uh, it will be very interesting to see how founders who made their wealth in, say, manufacturing or other industries uh, would cope with this very important requirements on ECG or, or related. And so they, they, they do have very big challenges in understanding it and, and coping with it. And, and I think this is another area where they would need professional support. And that would be a challenge to, to see how they, how they will eventually uh, make it happen, which I'm sure will be the case. So, I mean, this all sounds like a fantastic opportunity for your firm <laughs> so, to do all of this. And I mean, it, you're obviously growing very fast. You're opening other offices and so on. So if you if you continue to be this successful, then surely at some point you'll need your own family office <laughs> to manage you. Is that something you would ever set up for yourself? I mean, what, what do you think? Would you would you do it for your own family? I would say when when you look at something that's successful and you, in in many cases, uh, help to become even more successful, I, I think it's just natural that you would like to you know replicate it for yourself. And, and the reality is, and another opportunity for for our industry uh, in professional services is, in, in many instances, entrepreneurs would invite consultants to join them in. I mean, we, we had this offer in more than one instance, which I think it's a tremendous opportunity for entrepreneurs in this area where they typically limit themselves in supporting and advising and counseling to actually have skin in the game. And, and that's, that's yeah. a unique opportunity in this particular industry. But Becca, tell me, you know, you are an entrepreneur yourself. What's your opinion about it? I think I'd probably have to go and uh, win the lottery first. <laughs> I have two. I have two teenage daughters. They drain all the wealth I have. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Seriously, I I think they. I know a couple of people that have family offices, and um, in this country, in the UK, and um, and it works really well. I mean, it, it does work well for them to have that kind of setup and have it all managed set together, because otherwise life just gets so complicated anyway. But to have all the advice concentrated for the business and, and for their home, um, all the stuff that they need to manage their own personal home wealth and, and everything around them. Um, it, it does seem to operate very well. Yeah, well, I, I have an 18 years old um, son um, who, who's studying in the UK, and I think that would be one of the very few shots I have to to have him home again uh, after university. So uh, that that could be a reason. And and um, <laughs> jokes aside, um, it, it is I would say it is very typical for entrepreneurs in in Eastern Europe. You know that they're their next generation, in many instances, or in some instances, they go to study abroad and they, you know, they, you know, whether it's Western Europe or US or Canada, doesn't really matter. And in most cases, we've seen quite a few number of family offices. That was one of the reasons why they actually set it up. It's part of the succession plan, but it's one safe way yes. to keep the family together in a way. And, and that's, on a personal note, but it's also on a business note as well. And when the two come together, it's even more sensible. 
Yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense. I, I can't persuade my girls to get involved in the, the, work, the work that I do. They've got completely different ideas. They have no idea how inconvenient that is. <laughs> but I'll keep working on them, see where we get to. Anyway, it's been absolutely lovely to see you today. Thank you so much. That's been really interesting and I've really enjoyed everything I've heard from you. So I'm sure everybody else will too. Sure, so you take care and hope, you get, hope your flight goes well. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for joining us. This podcast was brought to you by the Nexia Turnaround Restructuring and Insolvency Business Group. The group was formed to bring together financial, legal and operational expertise from across the Nexia network to support global clients and international business at times of operational challenges and financial distress. If you want to get in touch with any of our speakers, then please click the link accompanying this podcast or visit the Nexia website. All views expressed in this podcast are individual opinions and do not constitute professional advice. You're advised to seek professional advice if you want to see how an issue applies to your own situation.